Well, it's great to be with y'all. I bring you greetings from Church of the Holy Cross in Crozet. It's wonderful to be connected, to have our churches connected. We're so grateful for your support and your friendship. We're going to be looking at that reading from 1 Peter, so if you have a Bible, please turn there. Before we look at it, let's pray together. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, O Lord, remains forever. And so, God, would you help us this morning to come and experience the stability, the permanence of your word, this imperishable seed, Lord, that brings fruit and life to us. May your spirit come and bless us and guide us as we consider this word. In Christ, name we pray. Amen. Peter Pan said, I don't ever want to be a man. I always want to be a little boy, and I always want to have fun. Peter Pan didn't want to grow up. There's a term I heard recently called manolescence. <laughs> Describes a fully grown man physically, but someone who is still incredibly immature, someone who hasn't grown up. There's even an unofficial condition called the Peter Pan syndrome. And it refers to a man or a woman who still acts like a child. They've grown up physically, the years have passed, but they haven't grown up emotionally. Now, most of us would hope we see this as a problem. <laughs> and perhaps a bit sad and tragic. What about someone who's been a Christian for some time? The years have gone by, year after year. But there really hasn't been that much growth. They seem to be spiritually stuck. They haven't really grown up spiritually. I expect my three-year-old to pitch an occasional or a daily fit. But this becomes increasingly unacceptable as she grows up. This is not, a, this is not acceptable behavior for a 13-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old. We expect new Christians to be like new Christians in their understanding of the faith and their behavior and their beliefs. But we should expect and hope that new Christians over time will grow up spiritually and continue to grow up spiritually. Just like we expect our children to mature physically and to grow up emotionally. Now, maybe that's you. Maybe you have been a Christian for quite some time, and you look back, and maybe you're even a bit frustrated. I, don't, I feel kind of stuck. I don't really feel like I've grown that much. Well, there's good news for all of us. All of us, regardless of where you have been or where you may be now spiritually, we can experience spiritual growth starting right now. We're in a series this Easter season on 1 Peter. And I love how Peter describes the Christian faith right out of the gate in the opening of this letter. He says that we have been born into a living hope. We've been brought into this wonderful story of salvation. And Peter, in this section we're looking at this morning, he's writing to us and he tells us, his purpose here in chapter 2, verse 2, he's writing so that we may grow up into the salvation. For Peter, salvation is not just a one and done kind of a thing, something that happens in the past and it's all over. For Peter, salvation is this dynamic thing that is happening now and that we'll experience fully when we're with the Lord. This hope that is laid up for us as we looked at a couple years ago. Salvation is actually something that we're moving towards, that we're growing up into. And he shows us in this passage, there's, there's a way that we're supposed to grow up. 
There's a proper way we're supposed to mature into this salvation, this dynamic living relationship with Christ. And he gives us actually a very simple image, a wonderful image to show us what this is like, what it's like to mature physically, what it's like to grow up. And that's the image of an infant. And he does it in a couple ways, actually. In chapter 2, verse 2, he talks about this infant craving spiritual or craving milk. But then in the first part, he talks about, again, us being born into this, this new family. So this is an image that Peter has for us to think about spiritual growth. On one level, we all need to understand ourselves as infants. Why? Think about what's most basic and vital for an infant to flourish. They really need two things. They need relationships. Most importantly, a mom. Dad sometimes, you know, isn't as important for an infant. But they need relationships. They need to be loved by others. They need food, right? They need sustenance. And Peter says, you know, it's actually very similar for us. We need family. We need relationships. And we need food if we're going to grow up into this salvation. So there's two main verbs in this passage we're looking at. Simple verbs, but they're very powerful because they bring out what it is like for us to grow up. And those two verbs are love and long. Love and desire. We need to love our spiritual family. And we need to long for spiritual food. This is what it's like to grow up into salvation. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So first, we need to love our spiritual family. Back in chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says that we have been born again into a living hope. And he talks about this experience of being a Christian as one of new birth. He hits it here again in this passage in verse 23. But think about it. What are we born into? We're born into a family, right? This is packed into this metaphor, this image. It's not just about something we experience personally, new birth, although that's certainly true. But part of this is that we are born into a network, into a family of relationships. And just like babies, as they grow up, they have to learn how to live with these relationships, with brothers and sisters, with mom and dad. So for us, as we grow up into this family of Christ, we have to learn how to live within the spiritual family. And Peter says there's one key, there's one thing that we have to remember and come back to again and again. And he says that we have to love Verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, it's interesting, this word here, earnestly, it's only used a couple other times in Scripture. And one other time where it's used, it's used of how Jesus prays on the night before his death, praying earnestly. This is a blood, sweat, and tears kind of a word. And so Peter here is not just telling us some little sentimental cliche, oh, we just need to love one another. (laughs) He's like, no, the kind of love I'm calling you to is an earnest love. This is a blood, sweat, and tears kind of love. This is going to require a lot of effort. This is going to require a lot of toil and emotional energy, but this is the kind of love that we're called to, to love one another earnestly. And actually right here, just around verse 22, he tells us both why we should love and how we should love. First, he says, look, love, you're born into the family because love is the goal. We're born into this family to love. So, Because you have purified your souls, verse 22, by your obedience to the truth. That is, since you've become a Christian, since you believe the gospel, this is for a sincere, brotherly, or familial love. Becoming a Christian, it ushers us into this purpose of loving one another. Now, we can think of lots of ways to measure spiritual growth. Knowledge of scripture, 
moral improvement, lots of ways to think about that. But actually, our spiritual growth is not measured by how much we know. It's measured by how well we love. And here, actually, Peter is echoing Jesus. He's echoing the whole, the whole direction of the Old Testament law, the importance here of love, loving in these relationships. This is the purpose. But he also tells us how, how it is that we can tap into this earnest kind of love. And that is love is rooted in the gospel story, the gospel message. He also says this, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Now, this love, as Peter here is showing us, it comes from our experience with the gospel. It flows out of the new birth, this seed that takes root in our lives, this imperishable seed, this gospel seed that allows us to be able to love. Inside this image of birth, new birth, Peter gives us another image, this image of a seed. And this, by the way, was a favorite image of Jesus. We heard that in the gospel lesson to refer to the word of God, the message of the gospel. The word is powerful. It's living. It's active. It's this imperishable seed. And we're born again into the family through this imperishable seed, the gospel word. So chapter 1, verse 25, Peter tells us what this word is. This word is the good news. That was preached to you, this message about Jesus. When the message about Jesus is preached, powerful things start to happen. Why? Because what's going forth, what's being scattered is this imperishable word that takes root and starts to bear fruit. And so if we're going to love well, if we're going to love earnestly, we have to remember this isn't something that we just are doing out of our own effort. This is something that is flowing out of our relationship with the word, our relationship with Jesus as he comes to us in the gospel. It's interesting here, Peter, he goes back to this passage from Isaiah, our Old Testament lesson. It's a wonderful passage. And if you think about it in that context, Isaiah is writing a message of hope for those who are going to be exiles. And he's saying, there's going to be a rescue that's going to happen. There's going to be a salvation that's going to happen. And you need to remember that Look, the grass withers, the flowers fade. Your circumstances right now, as tough as they are, as difficult they are, it's actually, you're in a transient situation. So you need to remember that. That helps put all of your struggles into perspective. But here's where your focus needs to be. Your focus needs to be on something that is permanent, something that does have substance, something that will be the same in good times and in bad times, the eternal word of God. And so Peter's hooking into this powerful story of how the word of God has always worked, and he's telling us also as exiles, Regardless of the circumstances around you, here's where your focus needs to be. It needs to go back to what's eternal, what's permanent. The permanent things, and the most permanent thing is the Word of God. Why is this important, especially here? It's important here because it's the Word of God, this seed that we are to receive, this seed that takes root, and it bears the sort of fruit that allows us to love earnestly, the blood, sweat, and tears kind of love. So we have to turn our attention, our hearts, and our focus again and again to this gospel that has come to us, that has been preached to us, so that we can love well, so that we can love in the way of Jesus. Jesus loves in order to save. We are saved in order to love so that we can grow up into salvation. So how can we love like this? It comes through the new birth. It comes through this word bearing fruit in our lives. Now, this is difficult, right, to love like this. Peter He has to commend us to to this kind of love. Why? Because we forget. We forget that we're we're called to this radical sort of love. And it's this love that comes from the gospel. Parents, as your children get older, you have to remind them again and again to get along with each other, to get along with their siblings. We have to be reminded to love. Every week at the beginning of the liturgy, 
We hear the basic commandments that we're giving, to love God and to love others. Why? Because we forget. And we need to hear the gospel story again so that we can love well. Similarly here, this is what Peter is doing. He's calling us back to this love that flows out of the gospel. It's interesting that the people we're closest to, biologically, and often in our spiritual family in the church, are often some of the most difficult to get along with. They can be some of the most difficult people to love. Think about brothers and sisters growing up. Chances are, if you had a brother or sister, there was, there was some major conflict along the way. Maybe even major rivalry that continues to this day. What causes this? For one, I think, siblings don't get to choose which family they're born into. Siblings, though they share a very similar DNA, right, can be incredibly different in terms of personality. In the church, we share a similar DNA. We've been born of this imperishable seed, yet we are so incredibly different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different perspectives, different personalities. We don't get to choose our church family, but yet this is the family God has called us to love. This is God's plan A. We come from different backgrounds. We have different personalities, different preferences, different agendas. But we have to learn to love one another. This is actually one of the key problems in the early church. If you just start reading through, especially the letters, Paul's letters, even here in Peter, I think you see it a bit, it's direction is being given us on how we're to love one another well inside the church, how we are to do our life together. And again and again, so Paul, he's so concerned about us being united around Jesus, right? This is the place we go if we're going to love one another well. So love is the goal of us growing up in a salvation, but love is also the gospel. The kind of love we're called to comes out of the gospel. And so this familial love, it is supposed to be this cohesive force that makes us stick together as a family. Peter, he's concerned that here, this early Christian community, this new spiritual family stays intact, not just for the sake of its members, but also for the sake of the witness of the church to the world around us. So Peter, he reminds us of the challenges. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Now, would you want to be a part of a family that was characterized by hypocrisy, envy, slander, and malice? Of course you wouldn't, right? You want to be a part of a family that's a safe place for you, a, part, a family where you, you can grow, where you can know and be known. And Peter's saying, look, it's easy for us to resort to these sorts of things. In fact, he's saying these are the sorts of things that characterize the old life. Don't fall back into these sorts of patterns. What's common about all these vices that Peter lists here? They all destroy relationships. These are things that undo other people. Hypocrisy, envy, slander. Peter's saying if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been delivered from these things. You've put these things off like an old garment, and now you've put on a new family garment that allows you to love in the way of Jesus. And you have the power to, to live in this new way. I just want to mention two things that I think will help us love one another well, to love one another earnestly. There's lots of things we could say here, but here's a couple of things that I've thought about certainly over the last week. One, we need to enter in to the joys and sorrows of one another. I think this is one of the best ways we can love one another practically is to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. If you're like me, you might find it actually easier to commiserate with someone else's sadness, to come alongside them. But it's sometimes more difficult, isn't it, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Or maybe someone who's gotten a promotion and you're stuck in a job you don't like. 
to rejoice with someone who's gotten engaged and you're longing for a relationship to work out. Rejoice with someone who's starting a family when you only wish you could have children. We find this very difficult. We can even start to nurse envy in our heart, especially when those close to us seem to have things going well for them. Peter says, look, watch out for these sorts of things. They, they undo relationships. They can start to infect the community. So I think to enter into the joys and the sorrows of those around us is one way we can love one another well, but it requires us being close enough to one another that we can actually do that, being present with one another so that we know what's really going on in this church family. That's one way I think we can love one another earnestly. But another way is to see one another on an eternal plane. Now, what do I mean by that? C.S. Lewis has this fantastic place in The Weight of Glory where he says this, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. And then listen to this. He said, in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the all and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all our loves. Now, what's he saying here? I think it's actually kind of similar to what we're seeing come out of this passage. If we believe we have been born of an imperishable seed and brought into a new life, and those around us have also as well, we can bear with one another in our differences. We can not be so easily triggered and offended by what's said around us. We can be patient with one another. Why? Because we are all eternal works in progress. Of course, we'll continue to be frustrated, but we can put our frustrations into this eternal context. I think this starts to change everything if we can see one another in this way. The difficult person you're dealing with now will someday be gloriously unrecognizable. It's in this passage also where Lewis says, you have never met a mere mortal. You want to grow up spiritually? Peter says it's like learning to love brothers and sisters, growing up into a family. You've been born into this family for this purpose, to love. And we can only do this in light of the gospel and being born again. The church is our primary family. And we have to learn how to hang out together, how to serve one another, support one another. And it's this strong family identity that Peter is commending in a context of exile. This is what we've been seeing the last couple of weeks. Um, we lived in Mobile, Alabama for, for um, a couple years. And there I got to know some folks who are part of a refugee community. And these were folks from different countries, different, different backgrounds. But yet they bonded together because they had something very important in common. They, they were refugees. They felt like exiles because they were exiles. So they created a community, a, a vibrant community, by the way. And they learned to love one another in this community. But it was their identity as exiles that was actually helpful for them to navigate their differences. So it is with us. Peter's writing to elect exiles and saying, we need to love one another earnestly. And remembering that we share this identity as these sojourners, as resident aliens. This is another important context for us in which to understand the call to love. So just like infants, if we're going to grow spiritually... We need this family so that we can learn how to love well. There's also something else important we need. We need food. We're to love our spiritual family, but we're to long for spiritual food, spiritual milk. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it 
you may grow up into salvation. Now, we've all seen, experienced a baby screaming because he or she was hungry and wanting milk. Peter says we're to have the same intense desire for spiritual nourishment. We're to be screaming our heads off, longing that we would be fed and nourished with something that can actually feed and nourish nourish us. Peter's not saying act like an immature infant, but he's he's saying with that same sort of intensity that a newborn baby has, the only thing that can satisfy that baby in that moment is pure milk. And Peter's saying we're to have that same, same sort of desire for spiritual nourishment. We're to crave it, hunger for it, long for it. But what exactly is this pure spiritual milk? In verse Chapter 2, verse 3, Peter has in mind Psalm 34. That was our Psalter lesson earlier. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In Peter's letter, he identifies the Lord as Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, since you have tasted that the Lord Jesus Christ is good, you have come to faith in him, Peter is saying, go on craving him. And it's interesting, there's a play on words here, because in Greek, the word here for good, taste and see the Lord is good, the Greek word is krestos. And the word for Christ is Christos. I don't think that's unintentional there. Taste and see that Christ, the Messiah, Jesus is good. Go on craving him. Go on longing for him. For the Christian, there is no food beyond Christ. The experience of Christian faith should be like an experience of good food, tasting, enjoying, and being sustained by this rich food. In Scripture... God is not so much this subject to be studied and analyzed as much as he is a banquet to be enjoyed. Christ is the sustenance. We are to enjoy Jesus. But how do we go on finding nourishment and sustenance in the Lord? The primary medium we receive this milk in the context here is through the living and abiding word of God. And Peter's been talking about here the power of God's word, its permanence, It's this imperishable seed. The word comes to us first through the gospel message. We hear the good word about Jesus, the good news about Messiah, and things start to happen. The seed takes root. It gives birth to a new life. The word about Jesus, the Messiah that saves us, is also the word that sustains us, that gives us sustenance. And we're born again into this new family by the seed of the word, and we're sustained in the family by the milk that comes from the word. And the word gives us Jesus. Peter's audience didn't have a Bible like we have it, but they did know the Old Testament scriptures. Peter's quoting the Old Testament constantly. And earlier in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, we read that even the Old Testament scriptures were preparing us for the feast of Jesus. They were all pointing, and, and, and if only the prophets could know and could see and understand and experience what we have right now, Jesus, the pure milk, When we crave the word of the Lord and feast on it, we get the Lord himself. What is it that you're eagerly longing for this morning? What is it that you're screaming out for like an infant, crying out for? Maybe you don't know what that is, but you know that there's something there, right? What is it? What is it your heart is crying out for? If you're exploring Christianity, I think it's important to point out that Christianity is not about the suppression of desire and longing, but it's very much about engaging those desires. Christianity is, at its core, is effective. It is emotional. It is about the heart. 
It is about desire. It is about longing. And Peter is taking us there in this passage. And he's showing us that Jesus is the one whom we're to enjoy and be satisfied by, like a rich, full-course meal. Peter talks about pure milk, meaning there are no other alternatives. There are no shortcuts to growing up in a mature way. We have a one-year-old whose name is Owen, and a couple, about a week ago, he tasted cow's milk for the first time. He initially took the bottle, pulled it away from his face, he scowled, and then he chunked the bottle. And then he started screaming his head off un- un- uncontrollably. He was like saying, you're not fooling me. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I want pure milk. Give it to me now. Like, oh, and there's a process here. We need you to kind of play ball. Um, but he's like, no, nope, not ready for that. Parents, you know the importance of feeding your kids well and keeping junk food in a minimum. Your child's development is at stake. It's the same for us spiritually. We can't get along too long on spiritual junk food. And I think sometimes we look for a spiritual high to sustain us. Sometimes it's an experience. I remember high school, college, I loved retreats and camps and because you know it was just it was the mountaintop experience and that was wonderful. Those are good things by the way. But these are not the things that are going to sustain us day in and day out. As helpful as they may be. You know, maybe we can get caught up in spiritual fads thinking the latest book or podcast, this is going to be it. This is going to be the thing that finally brings me to a place of flourishing spiritually. Again, good things, but I think we can be distracted by all sorts of things that are not the pure, undiluted, real spiritual milk, as helpful as they might, might be. We need to receive the pure milk of Jesus himself. Now, the reformers of the 16th and 17th century, they talked about the ordinary means of grace. Here's a question in one of their catechisms, one of their teaching documents. What are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? That's kind of a heady theological way of saying, how can we get Christ? How can we feed on Jesus and receive everything that he has to give us? The answer, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, prayer, all made, and I love this part because it connects with Peter, all made effectual for salvation. In other words, these are the ordinary places if we go, we meet Jesus, and we can grow up into salvation. Word, prayer, sacrament, and I think we should add service. So word, scripture, it presents us with a story of Jesus. We're to meet Jesus in scripture. What the prophets long to see, we get to see and enjoy. And again and again, the word of God is likened to food that we eat. Ezekiel's told, eat this book. Take the word in, digest it, enjoy it. Aubrey talks about the importance of us reading in different ways and experiencing Scripture in, 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 um, in, in different ways and contexts. We experience Scripture corporately. We need to come together to hear the Word of God together. There's something powerful and rich and important about that exercise. Just hearing it in the company of others. We need to engage it in community. Ask questions. Process it. Pray through it. But we also need to do this on an individual level, in private devotions. Ask the Lord to meet us through His Word privately. We need to read Scripture fast to get the big picture. We need to read Scripture slow to meditate on it. There's Scripture, ordinary means of grace. There's prayer. Jesus promises to meet with us in prayer. There's the sacraments. So we think about Holy Communion. We pray that we would feed on Him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. 
Christ promises to show up in Holy Communion and nurture us. We meet Christ also in serving others. I've been struck by how we were studying Mark, uh, as you all were, a couple weeks ago, and how Christ says, look, the way you treat these little ones is how you're treating me. There's something about engaging the vulnerable, little children, and those on the margins, those who are suffering, in which we can meet Christ. And those sorts of serving relationships, meeting the least of these, is a way for us to meet Jesus. Word, prayer, sacrament, service, these are the main food groups in which we can taste and see that the Lord Jesus Christ is good and grow up into salvation. Now, to wrap things up here, you might be thinking, all right, that sounds great. I like that. I want to grow up. I know I need to. It's time to make some steps forward. But man, what do I do if I just don't desire to? I mean, I'm waking up and the last thing I'm thinking about is scripture. And, and frankly, it's kind of even hard to get here on Sundays. And, you know, small group, uh, I, you know, that's still awkward for me. You're, you're kind of thinking along those lines. What, what about when we don't desire it? Well, I have seasons when that's not the first thing I'm thinking about when I get up. How can I feast on God's word and meet Jesus? It's a wonderful thing when that happens, though. But what if you're not hungry for it? You're hungry for other things. What do you do? Sometimes babies don't want to eat, but you have to keep feeding them. And the habit of eating begets appetite. Habit precedes hunger. A good friend of mine made a radical choice 13 years ago. He had a series of health scares and he knew he needed to do something drastic. So he said, I'm going to go vegan. Um, drastic choice for him. And he told me he knew that he had to do this for his physical health. He had a vision of what flourishing health might look like. And he knew it would be really hard to get there. So he started eating nothing but plant-based food. He told me it took him a full year to even get used to the diet. His body fought it like crazy. But now his taste buds have changed. He has a clean bill of health. He feels great. And where I might long for a plate full of fried chicken and macaroni and cheese, he longs for a plate stacked with veggies and fruits and grains. God bless him. <laughs> but he knew he should be desiring and craving something different for the sake of his own health. And I think it's similar for us as well spiritually. We know that our desires and our cravings need to change for what's actually good and going to sustain us and give us nourishment and sustenance. So this is why Peter is commanding, long for this, desire this. And how can you command something like this? I think we have to resist this idea that we can only grow spiritually when we feel like it. We have to develop patterns and habits. We have to train our desires. Look, we do this in so many other parts of our lives. But I think when it comes to our spiritual lives, we can think, oh, well, you know, when I feel like it, that's when I'll kind of get things going. We don't operate like that in any other area where it's important, in our jobs, and our relationships. But the fact is, we have, when it comes to our spiritual desires, these desires too have to be trained. Our taste buds have to, have to shift. The tyranny of our feelings, I think, can actually be one of the greatest impediments to spiritual growth. So we need to hear over and over again, look, this is what you're to desire. This is what you're to crave, the pure milk. You're to crave Jesus himself. And we need to go back to those places, go hard after those places where Jesus has promised to meet us. And we need to do this in community. The family and the food. This is what Peter is showing us here, the importance of this for spiritual growth. Do you feel spiritually stuck this morning? Do you feel like, I really need to grow up spiritually? I want to grow up spiritually. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. 
I don't want you to think, okay, yeah, 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 I, I hear you, Blake. I just need to try harder. No, 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 no. I don't want you to get in that way of thinking. I don't want you to despair. Peter's showing us something amazing. Peter's actually giving us an invitation to come and to experience this feast, to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.